A number of years ago, I heard the story about um, the Sunday school teacher who had been teaching the young ones all year, all these great biblical stories. And at some point in the year, she decided we ought to have a, an art response. And so she invited all the children to take out pieces of paper and to draw their favorite Bible story. And so they all are busy working, and she walks walking around looking at what everybody's doing. She walked around to this little girl named Alice, and Alice had drawn an airplane. And so the teacher's looking at that, and she says, yeah, what, what, is, what is that one? What, I don't remember that story. And she says, well, well that, of course, is the flight from Egypt. And, um, and she says, oh, yeah, okay. And she says, so there are four people shown. And she says, well, that must, that must be Joseph, and that's Mary, and that's the little baby Jesus. But who's that at the front? She's, she looks at her like, don't you know? That's Pontius, the, the pilot. <laughs> okay. I, I know that's a groaner, all right? But it's, it's Lent. You're, you're made to suffer during Lent, all right? Today we're starting a sermon series where we want to talk about um, this bit. We want to talk about the very end of Jesus' life before he dies on the cross. And um, I I'm really have a strong conviction that if we don't walk the way of the cross before we get to Easter, we miss a lot and we won't really fully celebrate it. And I saw, I, in fact, I saw a big church in town that is starting a sermon series today also that it is called The Cross Before the Crown. And it's that same deal. It's the same deal. We want to go there. And we do this as Episcopalians, but we do it during Holy Week. And it's, also, it's often really compressed, and it happens all really quickly. And what we want to do is back it out. And over these next three weeks, we want to pick apart part of the last little bit of Jesus' life. And the way we're going to do that is today, I want to just talk nothing about the la- but about the Last Supper. And the next week, we're going to talk about Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then the final week of the series, we're going to talk about Jesus' condemnation. And then just to sort of give you the, the forward looking from there, the week after that will be Palm Sunday. And we'll come back and talk about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And then we'll be at, at Easter. And um, so that's kind of where we're headed over the next number of weeks. But part of today is we're trying to get Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem and then talk about what happens at, this, at the Last Supper. And... and my hope is, as we talk about it at a little bit slower pace, that you'll see things that maybe you haven't seen before that will make your whole Lenten experience richer. And not only your Lenten experience, but every single Sunday when we meet and we gather around the altar, that it'll be more meaningful to you again. So, and there's more than I can say, but that's, that's ultimately where, where I want to go with this. And as we do it, um, I want to talk about the, the Last Supper. I'm going to say a few words about, um, about Judas, and then I want to talk about our remembrance and reflection on the Last Supper itself. So the beginning place is to sort of just back up for a minute and talk in big terms. Jesus did most of his ministry in Galilee. And we're going to get him from Galilee to this final episode of his life, right? And so we're starting in Galilee. He's got to make this 75-mile journey, more or less, um, to Jerusalem. And he does this, he knows, his, his followers may not have always had this together, but he knows he's on this final journey to where he's going to die. And he's got this 75-mile walk that they're going to do to arrive there. And then as they arrive, they're, they're staying basically at Bethany and the Mount of Olives. And that's going to kind of be their base camp. And then they're going into the city each day and for these different times. And the very first time he enters the city is on Sunday. Now, it's wrong for us to think of it like our Sunday, right? Because back then, that was like their Monday. 
It was the first day of the week. It was like business as usual, first day of the week kind of thing. And Jesus comes uh, in in the afternoon on that, on, sorry, on, um, on Sunday. He comes in that afternoon on Sunday, riding the donkey and all this that we'll talk about on Palm Sunday. And the people have heard about him, lots of buzz. This guy may be the Messiah. We think he's the Messiah. We definitely want to put down the Romans. And so people are trying to move him along to be this political Messiah. They're, they're hailing him, Hosanna, save us, do all this, throwing down their, the, um, the palm branches and the cloaks down on the ground in front of him and welcoming in, in this way as he enters. And it's this great moment. And it's late afternoon. All of that takes place. We'll talk about it in a number of weeks. And at the end of the day, Jesus returns to Bethany, to the Mount of Olives, and that's the end of, of Sunday. And then on Monday morning, Jesus, uh, and I'm going to kind of go chrono chronologically across the stage here, but on Monday morning, he heads into town and he goes to the temple and he goes to the court of the Gentiles. And when he gets there, this is where he encounters all the folks making money. The money changers, the people who are making all these big profits, selling the sacrificial animals and all this. And he gets really, really upset. And so he overturns the tables, he has this righteous indignation, and he, do, he does all this stuff on that day, uh, on that Monday morning. And, you know, he is not making friends with the religious leaders. Like, they've, they've already jealous of him, they've already given him resistance throughout his ministry in a number of ways. But now he's in Jerusalem, now he's in the temple, and now he's doing this stuff, turning over tables. And um, imagine how upset they are. Well, it doesn't stop there, because when we get to Tuesday, he Monday afternoon he returns and does more of the same. And then Tuesday he goes back. And then Wednesday he goes back. And each time he's going back to the temple, he's upping it. He's saying more and more things like, like people are starting to get uncomfortable. Like he's saying stuff that's really direct, right? So just think about some of the things that he's saying, right? So he's in the, t he's in the temple teaching, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you are like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but filled with filth on the inside. That didn't win, friends. <laughs> he goes on to tell the people, you do what they say, but don't do what they're doing. And it goes on to, to talk about how they're like the blind leading the blind in terms of their actions. So, like, this is not a pretty scene with what's going on with them, with the, the Sadducees along with the scribes and the Pharisees and all the different parties. And by the time we get to like Wednesday night, certainly by Thursday, they're ready to kill Jesus. Like they're working on a plot. By Thursday, they're, they're working on a plot to kill Jesus. And on Thursday, Jesus is not appearing in public anymore. So all that stuff he does in the temple the first part of the week is done. And we're up to Thursday and he's not being seen. About noon, we think, um, Jesus tells Peter and John, you need to go into the city and make arrangements because we're going to celebrate the Passover. And I'll say, more, I'm going to give a little footnote here. We'll talk more about the timing in a minute. But he tells them, go in and do this. And he tells them, when you get there, you're going to see a sign. And a sign, you heard it in our gospel lesson today, is you're going to see this man with this water jar. And you're thinking like, okay, like it's a big city. How's, and why is that going to be a big deal? Well, women were in charge of the water. So you got a man who's carrying the water jar. It's going to stand out. And we don't know whether this is a miraculous thing that Jesus knew you know, with his foreknowledge that that man was going to be there walking or if he'd made arrangements with the man. We don't know. Those are the kind of the details people can sit around and talk about all day. We don't know. But the, they go and they actually see the man 
carrying this, you know, or we, you know, we don't particularly know that, that it's always going to go to this house of it's a man, the man or a woman. But he follows the guy with the water jar to the house. They go in and they say, the master has called us to come to you and say, we need to make preparations for the Passover in the secret place. And he, he shows them this upper room. And scholars think that it says in our reading that it's a big room. They think later, tying it in with part of Scripture, that it may have seated, it may have been room for 120 people. And it's tied to part of what goes on at Pentecost and right after that. But it, so it may be this really big room. Somebody super wealthy, man or woman, who are really putting themselves on the line because of all the stuff that's going on in this tension. They're going to offer this secret, private place for them, and they make arrangements with this. And then what would have happened from there is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John would have taken a lamb to the temple um, to be sacrificed and to, to go through the rituals that need to take place for the Passover feast, and probably along with at least 1,000 other people. And the priest there would have sacrificed the lamb. They would have poured the blood of the lamb at the foot of the altar. They would have done a proper um, butchering or dripping of, of the blood. And then they would have, uh, what would have happened from there was Peter and John would have had the lamb, would have been basted with oil and or wine. And then it would have been cooked for three or four hours. So that's kind of where we are. I'm going to pick up from right there in a minute. That's what's going on. It's Thursday, probably at 7 o'clock at night. That's where we are. And I'm going to stop right there for a minute. What is this Passover meal? Like, why are they doing this? What is a Passover meal? How is it going to relate to what Jesus is ultimately doing in this final 24 hours of his life? What's he doing with this, right? So the Passover meal, you remember, is this thing back in Exodus 12 where for 400 years, the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt. And sometimes I get super impatient when God doesn't answer my prayers right away. These folks have been praying for 400 years. <laughs> and God hears them, and after 400 years answers them and raises, and, and raises up Moses, who's going to go in to be the one to, that God's going to use to deliver them. And um, I would love to have been able to negotiate like, like, um, like Moses, because he gets to come in and say, yeah, God wants the people out. And Pharaoh, who's Lord of the land in every kind of way, is like, yeah, no. It's like, okay, I've got some resources here. We're going to have a first plague, and then he goes to the second plague, and this, and this kind of keeps going. And finally, Pharaoh's like, no, I, I'm good. But finally, they, they up to the final thing, and God tells him, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go tell Pharaoh, we've kind of hit the end. This is the end. Like, this is the end. And the angel of death is going to pass through the country, and the firstborn of every household is going to die. And the firstborn of every flock is going to die. And then he goes on to tell the Israelites, let's be real careful with this. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to have this feast that, we read, that Steve read in the first reading, where I want you to kill this lamb. If you're not rich enough to have the lamb, form a coalition. And they, and they kill their lambs, and you're supposed to put blood on the doors. And then the angel of death is going to go by your house. It's going to pass over. That's where the name comes from, right? It's going to pass over your house. And he goes on from there because they realize that night they're going to be leaving the next day. They're down to their last meal in Egypt or their last meal in their current condition. And so we talk about the Last Supper. We're calling it the Last Supper because it's Jesus' Last Supper, but it also ties with the Last Supper in the land and their conditions, right? That is intentional. Those two are going to connect. That's part of 
What's going on with this? And so it happens, you know, so the angel of death comes and there is sorrow. Can you imagine the level of tears going on? Somebody has died in every house except for the ones who had the blood on the doors, including the Pharaoh's house. And so now the Pharaoh's response is not just okay, he's demanding, get the heck out of Dodge. I mean, go, get out of here. And this is the most significant moment within Judaism, right? This is the moment when they are really super formed as a people. They're formed as a people and they have to rush off. Like he's demanding they go and they have to scoop up and go. And the bread hasn't finished, the yeast hasn't finished, but they gotta go, so they throw it in the oven just like it is. It doesn't, it's not risen bread, it's the unleavened bread, the matzah that's gonna happen. They have to run with what they got and they go. And part of what God tells them, this is such a significant event that you have as a people that you need to teach your children's children, children forever. This needs to be part of what you do forever. You need to have this meal once a year where you're gonna walk through and remember what I've done and you're gonna remember your coming together as a people and how I'm honoring the covenant, all these different things. This is what you need to do all the time. This is part of what, what it's gonna mean to be a people and it's gonna involve the same things that were involved then, the lamb and all the different bits, all right? So that's what the Passover is. I'll say a few more things real quickly about the Passover feast as it goes now to be celebrated through the ages for just a moment. Part of what it involves is four cups of wine. I used to love this when I was at Baylor with my roommates, <laughs> arguing about whether it was alcoholic or not. I'm sure it was, and we can talk about that another day. But there's four <laughs> glasses of wine, the last two being redemption, the cup of redemption, and the cup of blessing at the end. They got that going on, and then they've got the, um, the um, bowl of salt water, which is meant to be reflective of their tears, and they're crying out. There is the parsley and the other bitter herbs that get dipped, which is part of remembering the bitterness of slavery. The bones from the lamb and all the stuff to remind mindful of the lambs that, that had to be quickly um, slaughtered that night and all the things that took place with that. But then there are a few things of hope that are thrown in. The egg, which is part new life and the hope that goes with that. Again, of course, obviously the matzah, the unleavened bread, and all these different things. All of this is part of the ritual taking place with that. That's what the Passover is, and Jesus is going to put some new twists on it. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. This whole Passover that they're gathering for is a big deal. They've gone to Jerusalem for it. It's 7 o'clock at night. The disciples have, have gathered. They're going to go through all these things, and of course, all Passovers involve lots of discussion about it. So that's what we're doing on this night. And like I said, you know, it's a big deal. Let me call a timeout on that for one moment. And I just want to, I want to turn for a minute and just talk for a second about Judas in this whole moment. So they're all gathering in this moment. And usually the Passover was meant to be a celebration. Because you're celebrating what God did, how he saved his people, how he brought them out of Egypt and their bondage and all this. It's meant to have a festive thing with it. But it's not that way this night. Because they're still asking, like, what's going on with this? You know, Jesus has said all these things are going to happen in Jerusalem. Is he the Messiah? Is he going to take power? What are we going to do with the Rome? You know, they've got all these questions. So I don't think it's particularly celebratory. And then Jesus is at the table. And at some point, like, try this at your next party you're hosting. Yeah, one of you here is going to betray me. <laughs> that goes over super well. 
and, and Jesus does that. In the, and he says at some point, somebody here is going to betray me. And I think he would have done well if he could have also said, and maybe he did, we don't know, you're all going to betray me at some level. And I think when we read this, we might get smug and think, oh, no, I'd be super loyal. But we all betrayed, betrayed Jesus at some level. We all have moments where we don't stand up and honor what he wants. We all have moments where we, we slink from the things he's calling us to or acknowledging him or whatever else it is. We all have those moments. I certainly know I do, where we don't stand up and, and honor him the way he wants to be honored and do the things he wants us to do or not do the things that we're supposed to do. There, there are a million ways that we inevitably along the way betray him. But the thing about it is, as we go along with all of this, is we're all going to do that. The church is certainly going to do this. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you if I have time that um, we've just finished setting the pub theology topics for the summer. And if y'all don't, don't know what I'm talking about, I'll tell you later as we go. But we do this thing once a year where we meet in a pub and invite you to bring people who are not necessarily in the church. The very first night we're going to do is going to be called um, Church Hurts. And we're going to talk about how the church hurts people at times. And the church will betray Jesus. Like there are just flat out moments for whatever reason God has populated the church with broken people. And there are times when we're going to get it wrong. And the only place you're ever going to find perfection is in Jesus. So don't ever look anywhere else, right? We're going to talk about that. But we all betray Jesus at some level. But the beautiful thing to me that, you, that we should always reflect on, and we sort of, we do this I think a little bit on Monday, Thursday when we, we go back to this place. But Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and he's washing the feet of everybody. Like he knows what everybody's going to do. He's wa I always think about him sitting there with, with Judas's feet in his hands, washing them, loving Judas, knowing what's coming. And he does that with every single disciple. He knows Peter's going to deny him three times. He knows every one of them is going to leave him on the cross alone. Everybody's going to betray him and he's, he's loving them, washing their feet doing this, this humble work for an example for them and to, and to pour out his love. And I think for us, when we know we get it wrong, we know we have stuff that's not right and we, we want to wind up with shame, we get it wrong. Because, you know, we, get, we do something wrong and then, of course, the other voice comes around and says, look how bad you are. We just need to go back and remember how Jesus' love is. He's washing Judas' feet. That's part of his always calling us to a deeper place of love with him. Always bringing us back to that place. Well, I, there are lots of things for us to reflect on, I think, coming out of this. So in the week, I would encourage you to think about the ways we betray Jesus. But I want to go on from there and pick back up with the dinner. Jesus doesn't make this a normal Passover because he does some things that are out there, right? He starts out when he has the, the unleavened bread and he, he talks about a new covenant. And he talks about, this is my body given for you. And then he turns around when he gets the cup. They think it was probably the third cup, the cup of redemption. <laughs> And he's giving them the cup, and he, he's saying, this is my blood shed for you, for the remission of sins, and all of this. He's giving it to them. These are things that were not part of the Passover, the normal Passover meal. They just weren't. And it's clear that Jesus is probably um, pulling on a number of different passages of Scripture, one of which, as he talks about the new covenant, is Jeremiah, because Jeremiah had said this was going to happen. And I'm going to read just part of this from the 31st chapter of Jeremiah. He says, the time is coming declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out in, of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make 
with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, know the Lord, because they will know me. He goes on, this is a new deal. And Jesus is going right there, saying this is a new deal. This is a new covenant. It doesn't matter that you, Israel, have been unfaithful. It, and, and it's not just for Israel now, it's for everyone. It doesn't matter what's gone before. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it so the Holy Spirit is in everyone who wants him. You're gonna have it in your heart to where you know what's right. You know, you're gonna be back to figuring out how to be a human who's fully alive. So there's all of this stuff that's going on with, with all of this. And I wanna bring this into a landing as we think then what, what do we do with this Passover meal? Because every time we gather, that's what we're remembering, right? And, and there's so much going on at the altar that we can't possibly go into it all. I'm giving you the historical roots for the Passover aspect of it today, but there's more because there's also this whole sacrificial lamb that Jesus is the lamb himself. He's also the high priest. All that stuff, there are all these different dimensions that cause us to look back at what God's done. It calls us to look forward to what God's doing. It calls us to look up to God who's empowering all this. It calls us to look sideways as we think about how God calls us together as a people, just as he did in forming the people coming out of Egypt. There's all this stuff going on. But I think at the heart of the Passover, we've got to come back where Jesus is saying, this is meant to be an act of remembrance. That's a, one a, important aspect of it. You're meant to have this as something that's calling you to remember what Jesus did, what God has done, and what he's doing. You know, we all have little tapes that play in our head that define us. God is sort of saying, make this the tape that plays. You're my people. I call you, I love you, there's this new covenant, God's gonna work in your hearts. All of this stuff, look at how much I love you, look on the cross, all of this stuff is being played. So when we, when we do the communion, you remember, well, take this in remembrance, it's this remembrance piece, take this in remembrance that Christ died for you. It's calling us to think about all of this. this God's plan and story has been going since Egypt, all the way through, new covenant, that night, new words, giving of himself, giving himself to us now, washing feet of those who betray him just like we do, all this stuff, remember it all, bring it in, that's our story. That's what we want, the tape we wanna keep playing and living, because it, it matters and it affects who we are and what we do. I invite you to continue to reflect on these things as we head through Lent, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and you love us even in spite of what we do and the many ways that we turn our backs on you at times. We thank you for that. Help us to remember it. Help us to live with gratitude and love that comes from that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.